Hi, this is Tony Mark. And this is Russell Grether. Welcome to the Malibu Podcast. Malibu, 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 Malibu. Um, hello, this is Tony Mark with Russell Grether. Hello. Maiden Voyage of the Malibu Podcast. We're already off to a bad start. <laughs> Um, we've been talking about doing this for a long time. We both love podcasts and thought it'd be fun to try doing our own versions. So we'll be talking about real estate, Malibu lifestyle, pretty much anything else we feel like talking about. And um, all right. So to start with, I guess we'll introduce ourselves. So Russell, why don't you tell us about you? Sure. <laughs> be uh, you. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. <laughs> Couldn't be happier. I'm, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're excited to do something like this. It's been something that we've been talking about for a while. And I think that, you know, unlike other communities, real estate in Malibu is very dynamic and there's a lot that's been happening since the fire. And it's, you know, the biggest thing I think for us is to be able to get current events out, information out. And, uh, that's kind of what we're looking forward to. Um, so a little bit about me. I grew up in Ventura. I, uh, lived on a farm growing up. My parents uh, grow lemons and avocados. And uh, I went to boarding school up in Ojai, and then I went to Pepperdine for college. And after Pepperdine, I was uh, gonna do finance and ended up going down the real estate route and uh, pretty much much, uh, history after that. But I was at CB for eight, years and then uh, I had the opportunity to to become one of the founding partners of the Compass Malibu office and then about two years ago I think we uh, joined forces over two years and created the Mark and Grether group and uh, it's been it's been great and I'm Tony Mark so I've been in Malibu since about 1975 my family moved out from the city and I got into real estate kind of unintentionally. I come from a real estate family and was just working odd jobs and started working for my father and figured out that real estate was a great job to stay in Malibu and it's been a great way to watch my kids grow up and stay in the area. Uh, It's been good to me. Um, Let's see, what else are we gonna talk about? Um, So, okay, yeah, talk a little bit about Malibu, your favorite parts of living in Malibu. I think my favorite parts of living in Malibu are really just the community is is great, but but also, you know, I'm a pretty outdoorsy person, and the best thing for us is to be able to go hiking after work or to go to, you know, some of the most beautiful beaches around, and I think that even though Malibu is centrally pretty close to L.A., Santa Monica, Westlake, even Ventura, you still feel like you kind of get away from it all. And I think to, to be able to go out and be with nature is one of my favorite things. Uh, I personally think that Point Doom and Malibu Park and Encinal Bluffs are my favorite. Um, we live on uh, Malibu Park off of Morning View now, and uh, it's a great neighborhood just right above Zuma Beach. And, uh, yeah, I'd say that those are my favorite parts about it. I'm kind of the same, you know, I just really like 
we like being outdoors, so Malibu is pretty ideal with the beaches and the mountains and love to be active. Um, show up late for work most days because I love to be active so much. <laughs> Russell loves that. Yeah, I know. The Swiss and me. <laughs> One of us has got to make this yeah. happen. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be on time. You, you work the night hours. Um, so, let's see. Okay, we talked a bit about what got us into real estate. Um, what would you say is the best part about real estate for you? Um, I think, you know, for me, the, the, the most satisfying part about real estate has been able to solve problems for clients. And I remember several clients who have said, you know, Russell, thank you so much. This is unbelievable what you've been able to do for us. Now we can retire based off the funds that you were able to deliver on selling our property. And I also like the dynamic negotiations and the there's definitely challenges and certainly in the high end there are lots of obstacles to overcome and sometimes you have sellers or buyers with big uh, wallets but also big egos and those are sometimes the most challenging people to work with but at the end of it you know I think that being recognized for professionalism and good service is is definitely the most satisfying thing. That's way better than my answer. <laughs> I just like hanging out with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, real estate, I definitely agree with a lot of that. I mean, real estate's satisfying because we get to deal with some of the, you know, most sophisticated people at the top of their game at whatever they do. So it's fun to get to meet the top of the business world, entertainment world, and kind of help them do the thing that they need help with, you know, finding houses and I, I consider real estate to be much more of, for at least what we do, you know, I think of myself much more as a tour guide than like a salesman in the sense, I don't think you talk anybody into buying a $10 million house they didn't want to buy. You know, I think that you help them figure out what they really want, what the, is the best fit for what they're trying to, trying to make work. And Malibu as a whole is just such an amazing lifestyle. I, I always feel good about that. I don't think there's really a bad decision to make in Malibu about where you're going to be. And so I like that aspect of it, getting to use what we know and grew up with and help people sort of find their place. I think also, too, you know, part of it is for our types of real estate that we do, you know, like you were saying, a lot of the people don't need any help deciding that they want to buy. I think you've actually said that buying in Malibu like a beach house is almost like in the category as buying like an exotic car or buying a you know a piece of art and that people really do want to be by the beach if they can and you know there's a lot of people that live in the community but still I think there's a lot of people that have the dream of maybe living out this way one day that's been nice to hopefully help facilitate yeah my dad had told me that he uh, statistically like if you wrote a list of the things you want most in your life, material things, that owning a beach house was statistically really high on people's lists. So just across the world, that's just something that people fantasize about, want. So it's kind of amazing we live in a place that um, that's reality. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think are our... Uh, what do you think the market's going to be doing here after the fire? I mean, what we experienced was immediately after the fire, I don't think we sold a house for three months, right? 
I mean, the market shut down for three months. We were evacuated for, I was evacuated for a month. Yeah, I was gone. I was gone for at least a month. I think I came back right after Christmas. Anyway, um, yeah, we, the market completely stopped. And then it seemed like after the fires, there was that whole other big winter mudslide um, that nobody really, you know, you think, oh, great, the fires are over. It's finally raining, you know. And then all of a sudden we just got demolished with mudslides. So that was a whole other aspect of the disaster that I certainly didn't see coming. And I felt like that had a big impact on our business, too. But after the sun came out and everything kind of got back to normal, seems like the last couple months particularly we've had you know we've been pretty busy so we've seen a big big increase in our volume for sure yeah i think it's going to be really interesting to see and we know so many people who were affected by the fire personally it's going to be interesting to see how those people decide to rebuild and what happens to the inventory levels i i think that people are still in the throes of it so i think i would say my prediction is that there will be a, uh, a big increase in inventory once people get their permits and they decide that they can't build for the budget that they were given from their insurance companies. And I think that should put some downward pressure on the pricing. But I also think that not that much has traded. I think I was uh, digging into the statistics from the 93 fire that 20% of the lots didn't sell or they sold and traded which would, if you extrapolate that data, would imply that 80 to 100 lots are going to be traded from this event. But we haven't really seen that. We've maybe seen a dozen so far, and we're, you know, 10 months out from the fire. And you think that's people just still trying to figure out where they stand with construction, insurance settlements? I mean, the worst-case scenario would be if they get their permits, they decide they want to attempt... To rebuild, they start rebuilding, and then they run out of money, and simultaneously the market goes down at the same time. Because then they're left with a property that they've put all this equity into, with less upside than if they had just sold it right after the fire. So we've been helping a lot of clients, you know, who have decided that. And the other thing too is that a lot of these people who lost their homes, you know, it's heartbreaking. My mother-in-law is included in that list she lost her house out by uh, Troutdale by the old place and uh, the hardest part is none of none of the people who lost their houses want to be developers but it's forcing these people to become experts in a field that they've never even considered before and I think a lot of people are you know either gonna wear out or hopefully they don't get taken advantage of by uh, unsavory contractors but We'll see. Why do you think it's taking so long before people are really up and running again? I haven't seen much new construction. I what was it like? Well, something I think like twelve only, permits. Have been yeah, they've issued, only or? issued like twelve or thirteen permits now. I think that I think Malibu gets an unnecessary bad rap about being so hard to permit, and there are cases, without a doubt, of properties that are hard to get permits because they're asking for variances or they're trying to get things that are outside of the local coastal program and you know the city of Malibu's building ordinances but I also think that it it's it can be done but you have to be pragmatic about it but I think that 
it takes a while to design a house. I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, if you gave them a blank slate, which a lot of these properties are, and tell them to design a new house, a lot of people don't even know where to begin. So there's a lot of details that go into it. Um, the tenants that are living in my house right now, they still haven't submitted and they lost their home off of Fillory. And they just keep going back and forth over, you know, various things like the width of their hallway and the height of their ceilings and small minutia of detail that just take time to work through. And back to the original real estate question, you know, we came out of our last office meeting with the data that the market was off by 50%. But then, you know, we talked more about that. I definitely don't feel like the market in terms of interest has been off 50%. I think those three months where the market was completely on a pause really affected the data. But I mean, we've been busy, you know, this, this last three months, we've sold quite a bit of real estate in all different areas, different types of properties, Carbon Beach to, you know, Malibu Park vacant land and burnouts. And it seems like there's activity possible in almost all those markets if things are priced right. Um, but it seems like price has become a little bit more important in this new yeah, wave. I, de- I definitely feel like before, you know, maybe a year and a half ago, we could come out, try the high watermark pricing strategy. And if it didn't get a lot of attention after 30 days, 45 days, you could adjust the price and buyers would still come and you'd be able to sell your house for, you know, record or at record levels. But now it seems like it's almost a a binary market, I would say, in the sense that you either have properties that are selling and they're selling for good prices or they're not selling at all. And I've always considered Malibu to have a pretty big, what I call as a floating inventory, where if it doesn't sell, the property uh, will just sit for another year and the owners, it's their second or third house and they're not desperate. So I think a lot of times seasonally you see this sort of ebb and flow of inventory, which also influences the prices. I've never seen such willingness in sellers to also get their houses more ready for market. I don't know if it's just the concierge program we've been working with with Compass or if this is just a new era of real estate where sellers are a bit more educated and maybe realistic about what it actually is going to take and how much of a difference that can make in pricing. But I've been really impressed with a lot of the new listings we've taken, how cooperative and willing people are to actually you know, paint, clean, even stage houses. Uh, it yeah. makes our world you know, a million times easier. And I wonder if that's had a bit to do with the success we've had when the market's been a bit slower in general. I think so, because I think that it's making the listings that we take on look the best that they can. So we were also just going to talk about, you know, historically, like, is there a sale for you either this year or just historically that really stands out to you? Something you were either really proud of or, or was just something special in a real estate transaction? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been, it, for me, it's not, you know, about the number or the, the price of a property. To me, it's sort of almost like the satisfaction comes from solving the, the riddle, so to speak. And I remember before we joined forces, I had a property that I'd worked on for three years. It was the old Sean Penn and Madonna lot off of Carbon Mesa. 
and it was just riddled with issues. There was lawsuits on title, there was a dispute from the trustee, there were half a million dollars in unpaid taxes, and we had to go through and fix every single issue, but still keep a buyer engaged. And uh, it was really satisfying because it, at the end of the day, we were able to deliver you know, what was a record-setting price at, at the time. Um, but it was more satisfying for me. It became more of a labor of love just to, to solve the issues for this seller. And that was really satisfying. What about you? That was land at the time? That was land, yeah. Um, probably the two most memorable. I mean, from an outside real estate standpoint, I sold a house on Paradise Cove that um, was one of the mega sales at the time for like $60 million. And, you know, that was just amazing for the sheer volume of what that sale was um you know like we do the same things all the time in real estate but you just you know you make so many phone calls to people and nothing pans out and you know after a while just the idea that something like that would even happen just kind of you just go through the motions but you're not really believing that you're going to call somebody and you're going to connect on a sale like that and so just did the same things i always do and then all of a sudden this you know sale starts materializing and i called the client said hey there's an amazing buyer rolling through town would you consider selling and you know just the price went up and up and up and it actually was one of the um, the nicer easier sales I've ever been involved with because everybody was so sophisticated and you know it was just they wanted what they wanted and the seller wanted their price and it was you know when you're I think I really prefer just focusing in on one thing and really being able to devote attention to it. So when you've got a $60 million deal on, on the hook, there's really nothing else that's going to get you distracted. So I love just being able to be all in on that. And that became my, my all-encompassing focus for about, it was quick too. It was like, I think two months, you know, it closed. So that's pretty much all I did. Ate, breathed that deal for two months. And then, um, you know, the paycheck was amazing. And and I felt like a rock star for about six hours, and then everybody forgot about it. <laughs> but that was really, that was really cool to be involved with. Um, that's been surpassed a couple times over now with mega sales in Malibu. But that was by far the biggest sale I've done. And then um, actually buying this property was probably the second most memorable thing I've done. This was actually a listing we had, and um, when I first got into real estate. My dad just kind of put me on the listing and said, you know, okay, you need, you need to take something and figure out what it means to sell a property. So take this. And this place was a disaster. It was, you know, six foot high in weeds. There was all kinds of violations. And kind of like you were saying, it was like this puzzle, you know, that I got to put together. And so I'd worked on this for about a year, but I was reporting to the owner's son. And I assumed it was sort of a similar relationship like my dad and, you know, that if I was working on something, I'd convey it. As it turned out, he actually wanted it for himself and he didn't want it sold. So he never told his dad that we were doing anything. So I'd been up to the Coastal Commission like, weekly for a year and I, they had violations about trees that had been cut down and they violations about trees that had been planted. It was like, you know, you couldn't cut down a eucalyptus tree, but then you couldn't replant it because it was non-native and just these crazy crossover violations that nobody had the energy to take on but I was 24 had plenty of energy and this was my first project so I'd go up there all the time and meet with them and um, 
and I finally got it all figured out. And then after I figured it out, I came over one day. I was working on it, and I called um, the owner for an extension on the listing, and he called me back and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we'll take care of that." And a week went by, and two weeks, and I never heard from him. And the listing expired. And then I, I drove over here one day, and uh, there was a sign up on the property from another real estate agent. And that was back in the day, you know, before information was everywhere. So I ran the sign over with my car, and I called the agents. I was like, "What have you, you know, what have you listed it for?" And it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars less than what we had listed it for. So I got a loan uh, from my dad, and I was able to buy the property. And I knew how to fix all the problems because I'd spent a year figuring it out. So the owner was happy. He got the property sold. I wound up being able to buy my first piece of property in Malibu, and that was kind of my introduction to real estate so I'm pretty happy about all of it that's amazing and now you run the gathering here yeah so a friend of mine is a pastor and um, I've never gotten it together to actually build on this property although I look forward to it in the near future I'm gonna work with you on that (laughs) yeah we gotta get that I know a guy Um, but yeah so we we've had church over here on Sundays and it's just kind of become our family community park so we're actually going to do our uh, charity event here in a couple of weeks to raise money for um, Children's Hospital of Los Angeles and help support the Malibu Triathlon, which takes up most of my mornings these days, exercising. Um, but yeah, we're going to do a charity event over here August 17th from 1 to 5. Um, Jumpy Castle's over there on the lawn and food, <laughs> food truck about right where we're sitting. Nice. Should be a great day. And that's going to be in conjunction with the triathlon? Uh, yeah, so the Malibu, the Nautica Malibu Triathlon raises about a million dollars a year for the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. So it's one of their primary goals is fundraising. So they make the money that they have set aside for the event, but then everything over their their targeted goal they donate to charity. So they raise, at the last few years at least, well over a million dollars they've raised each year for, uh, for research. Um, so that is what the, we'll be supporting both the event, just awareness of the event, but specifically raising money for the Children's Hospital. Hmm. That's great. So is there anything in particular, like about just the format of a podcast that you like the idea of? I know. I know yeah, I mean, me, I think I think it would be cool to be able to interview, you know, notable characters in our community. And, and I do think that it's hard to find information that's specific to Malibu. I think that the Malibu radio with Hans Letts does a great job, but not everybody is listening to the radio. And I think that we could, uh, you know, have a really great message and get information out there that's not in Thank you for joining us for the first episode of the Malibu Podcast.